Yeah, I think I think you probably um, your own spin comes from just all the experiences that you've had in your life, whether it's you know your, your physio degrees or your own training, and then you know mistakes that you've made or things that have gone well that you want to try and replicate. So. I guess, you know, with all the athletes in the group, um, you know, all of them are on sort of different different programs. Like there's not one athlete that would have the exact same program sent out to them um, each month. There will always be some individual variations. And, you know, I was um, I was listening to your, your past, um, couple of past interviews and asking about coaching yep. philosophies and things like that. And I think it's one of those yep. things that it's just, it's got to be adaptable because what works um, for one athlete and one year won't work for them the next year. So it's always constantly like at the end of each season, you know, try and write down some notes for each athlete on, you know, what are some things we've learned? What are things that worked well? What are some things that didn't work so well? That So that when you're then planning their training for the for the next year, you can sort of go back and you can, you can see patterns of things that have worked, but you've also got to be mindful that, you know, potentially they won't work next time. So it's, it's sort of just, I find in coaching is just this constantly adaptable situation where, you know, one minute you can think you're doing a really fantastic job because an athlete performs really well, but then, you know, a couple of hours later, you think you're doing a horrible job because someone else didn't go nearly as well as you thought they would. So you've got these really high highs and these um, these really low moments. So it's sort of just this balancing act of uh, of making sure that you, you're keeping the, the big picture in mind and um, and not not getting too overly excited with someone performing well, but also not getting too low when someone doesn't perform so well because you know you can you can change that around in a matter of weeks. Welcome to the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced runner and running physiotherapist. I created this podcast not only so I had an excuse to talk running each and every week, something that I love to do, but more importantly, this podcast gives me the opportunity to interview fellow runners, friends and health professionals in a relaxed and easygoing format. This podcast is designed for the everyday runner, so we can all live, learn, grow, and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi guys, and welcome back to episode 41 of the Run Culture Podcast. This week, I caught up with Ben Liddy. Ben Liddy is a director of the Central Performance Physio Clinic in Sydney. He's also a lead coach at the Central Performance Track Club and is also a great runner himself. We talk about his running career, his coaching, his big squad at Central Performance Track Club, what he does to avoid injury for his athletes, his adaptable philosophy for being a running coach and physio, his learnings as a coach, his favourite running sessions and much more. So tune in, it's a great interview. I've really respected Ben Lee from afar for a long time and it was great to finally meet him and chew the fat. Enjoy. There's a lot of learnings like usual from this one. It really flows on nicely from the last episode with Michael Nischke, another fantastic physio slash running coach who knows a lot. All right. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for your time and tune in, guys. Before we get into the interview, I've just got a quick announcement. 
I've just established an online exercise community for runners. For just $5 per week, you get three 20 minute exercise routines, one focusing on mobility and stretching, the other focusing on activation, core and Pilates, and the last one focusing on heavy strength exercises. These exercise routines will be updated weekly. So if you're interested, go to run-therapy.teachable.com or follow the links on my Run Culture Facebook and Instagram pages. The first 30 people to sign up receive a free Run Culture singlet retailing at $80 in the mail. As a member, you'll also have access to the online Facebook community associated with the group. As part of this, this group is designed to keep everyone honest and and keep everyone exercising and, and doing the routine, but it's also to make sure that the exercises cater for the individual. Now, I must add, signing up is not indefinite, and if you feel the classes are not for you for any reason, you can cancel at any time. So strength training has been shown to help running performance. I believe a conditioned and balanced runner is a more resilient runner to injury. So yeah, I've wanted to do something like this for a long time. If you're interested, just um, sign up. All right, I hope to see you there, and let's get on to this week's interview with Ben Liddy. Um, the little one going. Oh uh, yeah, good mate. Yeah, it's yeah. been um, it's been a bit of a crazy time. We were uh, we were expecting her to actually arrive today, and she arrived uh, about five weeks ago. So um, oh, wow, yeah, she was yeah. So she was a bit over a month premature. So she spent a couple of weeks in um, special care, and then yep. yeah, we've had her home now for a little bit. So yeah, we're sort of just fumbling our way through the early stages <laughs> of parenthood, and. Yep. Uh, trying to work out what to do but yeah no she's been pretty good so far she had a bit of a bit of a disrupted night last night but otherwise um yeah mate it's going really well it's just uh yeah it's just just a crazy time but it's you know with everything else that's going yeah. on in the world it's sort of just been like wow life yeah. is really 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 changed been a weird time <laughs> yeah it really has mate and it's just i guess that uncertainty of not knowing what's what's to come so uh you know, it's it's nice at the moment, you know, you can still probably get out and go for a run, but um, yeah. I just hope it doesn't get to that extreme, you know, that we're all on complete shutdown and, yeah, so yeah, we'll see. Know. We'll see. And yeah. how's your own running going, mate? You uh, Did you have any races in the yeah. pipeline? or have you Yeah, sort of... I was going to do um, actually um, Canberra 50K. Um, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So I was training, like, pretty hard for that and I was pretty fit, um, but just like everyone, like, suddenly um, – yeah, you're a bit in limbo. Um, so it's a bit weird being really fit, but then not having anything there. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I saw your like you've um been going pretty well. Like um, yes, I saw like your Steigen. Like I was looking at your result, like your PBs and stuff. And oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm still sort of just hanging around. Like I just um, you know, I sort of stopped all the serious track stuff when I took up um the coaching, and yeah. but I still just love running, and I was just sort of you know looking for ways that I could still just you know, keep it going a little bit. And then, um, yeah, so I just run most mornings by myself and then generally meet up with a mate on a weekend and, and try and do a, a session really early so that I can then get over to the, the squad and stuff. And, um, yeah, and I'd always really wanted to try and break, um, you know, 31 minutes for 10K and got close a few times over the last sort of five years. But um, And then I was like, well, baby on the way. 
Um, hadn't stepped foot on a track for, you know, probably a couple of years or so, but I was like, this is probably the last chance um, yeah. before the bub comes and I don't know what's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, so made the, the decision to head down to, to Steigen and, and give it a crack. And, you know, luckily it was uh, just sort of the perfect race with lots of guys around sort of the, the same sort of level. So it meant that there was sort of company for pretty much all, but the last couple of laps, so it was great. Yeah, because um, what you run like thirty thirty nine, like that's that's flying. Yeah, yeah, mate. It was it was just one of those things. It was just like you know, uh, it was just because t- I've never because I hadn't been on a track for ages. It was like just weird being on a track for starters, and then doing it twenty five times. It was like oh god, like it was just. Um, but it was <laughs> like perfect because you could just tick them off with so many guys. That, you know yes. that they're so obviously the superstars at the front, like Tom and Matt Hudson yeah. and those guys, but. Um, yeah, there was a good little pack that I was in pretty much the whole way. So it was just didn't have to think, just basically trying to hold on for, for dear life for, for the last sort of 15 laps or so. Yeah. No, it was, it was pretty cool to see. Because, um, like, I was looking at your range, um, like, in terms of, you know, what you did over 400 and then what you've done over 10K. Like, it's a pretty good range. Yeah, mate, it was sort of, it sort of has just trended that way is that, um, you know, I still loved all the running, but the, the body just gave out on being able to do that shorter, faster stuff. So it was, yep. it was uh, purely by um, uh, a declining ability level over the shorter distances that, that pushed me up to the, the longer distances as opposed to the desire to do it. Um, yeah, I tried to hang on to the the 800 for as long as I could and then it just was was not really working that way so moved up to the 1500 and then yeah once the once I got into the coaching it was sort of like well I just just don't have the time or desire to really go to the track myself and smash myself on hard track sessions so it was a lot easier to sort of just get out early and and do sort of more the longest grindier stuff that you can still run a decent 10k off yep yep because like how did you actually get into the sport like how, how did you like start um like and because like it looks like you started focusing on like the eights and the 15s and 400s like initially um yeah is that did you sort of start just more sort of on that speed sort of side of things yeah I sort of got into like I played a lot of just team sports when I was younger I didn't really enjoy um athletics as like an organized sort of event at um at that stage and then um it's more into my like rugby league and basketball, cricket, soccer, those type of things. And then um, when I got to high school, um, uh, there was like a school athletics team and it was sort of my first exposure to, you know, being athletics as a bit of a team sport. And I think, you know, um, just getting involved in that. And we were involved, I went to a school that was involved in what's called the CAS system, which is basically... Uh, there's a, a group of six schools and, you know, you have a, all these smaller athletics meetings together and then it, it culminates in this big CAS athletics event, which, you know, all the, it's basically a compulsory event for all the school students to come and watch and it's, it's run on a Saturday and, you know, the atmosphere out there is, is just like nothing um, that, you know, I've ever experienced before. And it was just something that just really drew me to the sport. And then that whole, you know, nature of, you know, training with your best mates and you know all the banter and everything that goes along with that and I just started to to really love it I had a bit of success with it and and then just um drove me to to more want to pursue it um outside of school and um yeah so it was pretty much from then that I I guess I fell in love with the sport and um I've been doing it ever since yep yeah and and like back then like what who 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 was your coach and um what what, like um what what did your training group look like in 
but like in if you sort of had that sort of good group of guys where you really remember like getting along with them and and all the banter like who yeah really look I, I um back then um my coach um was a guy by the name of Clive Cocaine I was really fortunate to um to stumble in him I think uh, at the time my mum had been looking at you know it was probably my second year of high school at looking at just some local athletic groups around the area and it was he was involved with the it was called Cumberland Ride Hornsby Athletics Club at the time which um doesn't really exist anymore but um yeah he was um just a fantastic coach and I guess uh you know now I still have a bit of involvement with him and you know I go back with emails and update him on what you know I'm doing in the the coaching world and get his advice on things but um I was just he had a a a group of um you know a mixture of athletes we had it was predominantly a middle distance focused group and there was some younger younger people in the group um and then all the way up to to some some older athletes and um yeah I had guys like um Sam Burke who was the year below me at school and he was you know, a, a low 150 type runner for 800 as well um, at his yep. peak and had another couple of guys that were um, at James Roos High and um, some other schools. So we had a group of guys, you know, that were probably all, you know, low to mid 150s and under four minutes for, for 1500. But, you know, we're all really, really good mates as well. Like, you know, we'd spend time together on weekends. I guess when you, you're doing a sport, requires so much effort and suffering like uh, athletics does that um, you become pretty close in those training environments. And then that, that friendship that you develop there sort of extends onto, uh, you know, into the outside world. And we still, still like Sam was one of the groomsmen at my wedding and the, oh, yeah. the other guys, you know, um, still, still there. One of them's overseas, but, you know, we still are in regular contact and uh, he's just had his first little baby girl as well. So yeah, mate. So it's just, you know, I felt really fortunate to to stumble into um, that type of environment, but also the, the, the coach that I had was just, you know, he was brilliant and um, yeah, he had a, a big influence on me. What was like, what, why do you say he was brilliant? Like what were some of the things that he really influenced you? And you still still really um, remember and um, taken away from. Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing that you know, looking back on, and that I take into, um, I guess, my coaching philosophy today with some of my athletes, especially the eight hundred runners, is that the the idea of you know just um, you know working at um, very like intensities all throughout the year and never sort of stemming too far away from your um the type of training that's needed to run well um in your event that you're training for so i guess we were always touching on you know 800 race pace 1500 race pace 400 race pace all the way from winter um through to the summer season but the emphasis just changed as the the season progressed so you were never too far away from racing well um which meant that you know especially as a junior and you you're obviously got so many different competitions that you've got to be be training for that you could always run decently well but he would always ensure though that you know that the the major competition whether that was the Australian Junior Track and Field Championships or or the CAS Championships as a school schoolboy was um was always in the back of his mind and he always made sure that you know that he kept things under control until you know it was time to really push on with that last part of the hard training to really deliver the peak performance. So, um, so yeah, so I guess just um, having that understanding of, you know, 
the event requirements and the, the type of training that um, he gave us has then allowed me to sort of take those ideas and, you know, along with some of the other ideas that I've got personally um, to, to blend into the, my coaching philosophy today. Yep. Yep. And then um, has he been your, your, your only coach throughout your career or? No, he was, um, he was there? my, um, my coach for probably the, the longest time I was probably with him for about eight to 10 years, I would say. Um, and then um, I had a, a bit of time after that with um, Dean Gleason at the Sydney Uni Athletics Club. Um, oh, yeah. He was actually um, the coach that I ran my, my PBs for 400 and 800 with. And, um, and Dino was great as well. Like I really learnt the, the importance of um, actually backing off with Dino. I think that um, yep. with um, my previous coach, Clive, I was – I was always sort of the type of athlete that wanted to just push and do more and more. And I think that that ultimately um, cost me a little bit sometimes in terms of getting injured, but also um, just probably showing up to the start line a little tired. And, um, and with Dino, I remember that there was a, a period of about six or eight weeks where, you know, training, we were doing very, very little, like it was, you know, 10 to 15 minute runs on our easy days and our track sessions were, you know, things that you could go to the track, it'd all be done in about 10 minutes. And one of the sessions would be pretty high quality. And the other session, you know, would just be four one fifties at at race pace with a, a decent recovery in between them. And then, you know, I, I started running PB after PB after PB week after week. And it just really um, led me to believe that, you know, that you've got to really train hard, but if you've got um, athletes that you're, you're coaching that, um, you know, pushing themselves for an extended period throughout the year, then that that tapering component can be really important. If you if you're not seeing them get the getting the results that that you think that they should be getting based on their training. Yep. Yeah, that that's awesome. Um, that's probably a, a side of training that because um, I've always sort of been more the longer um, events and always sort of moved up as soon as I was able to. But like that's a side of training that really interests me. Like like um, you know. 10 minute sessions and then yeah, four by one fifty off long, long break. Um, and yeah, 15 minute runs. Like were there any other sessions, um, that you, you remember from that time that, um, you know, you're running your 400 and 800 P- PBs with any other sessions that you felt oh, like? Oh yeah. Like, or, or, I mean, I mean that was, yeah. that was, those were just sort of, I guess the, the fine tuning of the, the, the season, um, yeah. towards the end when you'd sort of already established the hard work, um, Yep. So with, um, you know, with Clive and, and Dino, they both had, you know, your, your typical type of work where you would do, you know, throughout the winter, you'd do your, your longer sort of more VO2 max style sessions and your heel work a couple of times yep. a week. And then you'd be on the track probably once a, once or twice a week for your, your harder efforts. But, um, you know, at the, the real pointy end of the season when, you know, it was time to really put the hammer down, you know, there would be sessions where you'd be doing like, you know, 500, 400, 300, 200, you know, off, off long rests where you'd really just try and basically run flat out from rep number one and, and see if you could hold it for the rest of the session. You know, there were sessions that I always used to fear, which was like, uh, you know, two sets of two 400s where you would run uh, 400 at sort of like the first lap of your 800 pace and then you'd have 60 seconds rest and then you'd, you'd try and run a similar sort of pace again and then you get 12 minutes rest and repeat it. And it was always yeah. those types of sessions where, 
you knew if you nailed them that you you were probably in good form, but you know it, you'd also come to the track nervous because you knew how much it was going to hurt. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, no, that that that's so good. And then like um, from from here, like um, when did you realize that you wanted to be a physiotherapist, and um, what sparked that sort of um, idea of um, having that as your profession? Um, yeah, so I did um, uh, an exercise and sports science degree coming out of um, at, out of school, and um, and that um, I guess I had that idea, you know, that I was going to be working in institutes of sports and testing athletes, and and once I finished the degree, I realised there was a, a little bit more to that, that needed to take place for you to actually get into that type of career. And that there weren't that many uh, job opportunities around for that. So I sort of floated around a little bit for a while, um, working bits and pieces of different jobs, you know, in gym environments and doing a bit of coaching on the side and really just decided that um, I wanted a bit more of a career focus. And um, then I, uh, yeah, looked at applying for, because physio had always been in the back of my mind and probably didn't get the, the initial marks out of university and then applied for a a couple of um, different universities to, to get into the master's program and then um, actually ended up at the University of Canberra and did the master's program down there. So, um, yep. so I spent two years in Canberra, which um, they were just starting the degree down there. So we were the first cohort to go through and we only had about probably 21 in our year group, but it was, um, it was great like just to have that individual attention on from the staff um, on the students and um, yeah, it really just allowed me to sort of grasp my head around the, the physiotherapy world. And then um, once that was over, I um, moved back to Sydney and, um, and started working from there. Yep. And um, was it straight away um, at um, Central Performance um, Physio? Yeah, we were called yep. um, Precision Physio back then, but um, yep. yeah, rebranded since then. But yeah, so I've been at the same practice now for just over... 13 and a half years so uh yeah just uh one of those places i was just fortunate to uh to be involved with i had good staff and i had a great boss and um yeah so now um i've been there ever since and part owner in the clinic now and you know chris who was my boss then he's still there so um we're business partners and um yeah and it's um it's just been great you know obviously we've had staff come and go but um you know i'm actually enjoying work more than ever now we've got a great team and you know it's a bit of a multidisciplinary clinic with exercise physiologists and strength and conditioning trainers so it's just good to be able to bounce ideas off different people and you know you're you're constantly learning so there was there was never any need for me to to push on or or move elsewhere because i was you know constantly learning and and also enjoying the environment that i was in yep yep and yeah, I want to like um, probably um, go back to your physio stuff soon. But uh, like with your your own running, like you got your fifteen or eight hundred down to one fifty point one six. Is that right? Yes. Um, yep. And um, and then uh, um, and then your your fifteen hundred like three three forty eight. Yes. Yeah. That's um. Yep. Yeah. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Um. So like uh after uni and um like what did you do after that in terms of like to keep your running going and um Um, so yeah once I came back um from Canberra um yeah I was um I'm just trying to refresh where my running was at at that stage I think yeah came back um 
from Canberra and, um, yeah, I was sort of um, still running and, and doing a bit of training by myself and, and you know, trying to, to see what worked for me, what didn't work for me. And then I actually um, uh, basically wasn't running well and probably overdoing things. And um, I actually ended up um, uh, joining uh, John Atherton's group. Um, yep. So, um, uh, and that was just the best thing for me. So, you know, you, I'd gone from, you know, doing a lot of uh, running myself to, to then coming back and joining John's squad and, and being in a, a group environment again. And, um, and John was just fantastic. Like, um, I guess, you know, I've learned a lot from all the, um, the coaches that I've had involvement with over the years, but, you know, Clive, Dino and, and John were um, probably the, the three people that I took um, so much from. And John was just a great people manager. He put a lo- always, you know, inspired a lot of confidence in you. And, um, yeah, I learned a lot from him as well. So I spent, you know, um, the next um, sort of two or three years with um, with John and, and sort of transitioned from the 800 to the 1500 with him um, just because we could both probably see that the writing was on the wall with the 800. I, I was always trying to hang on to the fact that I wanted to try and break 150 for the 800 and got close yep. on numerous occasions. Uh, but it, it just <laughs> got to the point where it was like, this is this is not going to happen, Ben. I, I just I didn't have the, the same ability over 400. And I think um, I was still keen to try and keep competing well. So it was sort of move up to the 1500s and, um, and yeah, and then had a, you know, a little bit of success with that. Um, you know, I made a national final with that, but um, you know, I was never, never, you know, going to be competing with the the top guys. But you know, I just love the sport and wanted to stay involved with it. So uh, yeah, so it was great. Yep, yep. Um, and then when when did you sort of have the um, idea of uh, sort of getting into coaching and 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 uh, coaching um, or having starting your own group? Yeah, well, I, I think that that was always on the um, always on my mind that I wanted to get involved um, with coaching at, at some stage. And um, and as I was, um, you know, probably getting to the end of my own running career, I'd, I'd been in talks with John because um, John was. Um, you know, he was getting older at this point as well. And this was before his, um, his health went downhill that we had, we'd talked about, you know, gradually transitioning me into, um, to a coaching role eventually when he was going to um, retire from the sport. Um, And then I was actually the first athlete that I really, I guess, took on seriously, Mason Cohen. He was actually a, we were actually training partners. So um, when I moved across to John, um, he was um, he was training there as well, and then um, I got a got an injury and um, a, a stress fracture of my sacrum, and I'd had a lot of injuries over the years, and it was sort of getting to the stage where I was almost looking at you know winding down my own running, and um, and at that stage there. John's group was starting to wind down a little bit um, in terms of the middle distance runners, but, you know, the majority of his squad was still going strong and uh, Mason was looking for, for a little bit of a change and, um, and we sat down and, um, and he was um, then keen to, to, to join me. And cause I said that I was looking to get into the coaching ranks. So, so that's where it all sort of started. And then, um, uh, was always still in constant contact with John and um, and getting his ideas and then um, so I had Mason and and a couple of other athletes that first year of um, coaching and then unfortunately um, 
John got uh, diagnosed with um, motor neuron disease and um, his health went downhill really, really quickly. Um, and he passed away tragically. And then, um, and that was really tough because he had a, a really strong and committed group of athletes that he was, that he was leaving behind that, that they absolutely loved him as yep. well. And they were sort of left with, without a coach or anywhere to go. And, um, and then, yeah, so as a result of that, I sort of inherited um, quite a few of John's athletes. And, um, and I guess that's sort of what bolstered the numbers in the, the training group. And, you know, I was very fortunate to pick up some talented athletes and, you know, um, and so, yeah, so that's sort of where it all, I guess, started becoming a little bit more of a, a serious thing and a lot more group involvement. And, you know, I was very fortunate in that case, but, you know, it came as, as a result of a, a tragic circumstance in John passing away. Yeah, but I'm sure he's pretty happy that you what what with what you've done with the group and um um yeah like um and that you've sort of helped fill the void. Yeah, I'd like to think since. so. You know, um, John's still very much in uh, all our memories, and uh, you know he he's still a integral part of um of the way that our group trains. Like we still use the same training venues and similar types of sessions to what John did. You know, John had a lot of success, so there was no point in in trying to reinvent the wheel. Um, so, you know, I've brought my own ideas into it, but a lot of the things that we do are a similar philosophy as to what John had. Yep. And, and that group just seems to be growing and growing, like, um, and um, going from strength to strength. Like, it, um, I just see those green singlets popping up everywhere. And um, uh, it looks like, yeah, like I've seen a few photos just on Instagram and social media and some of those group shots, it looks like you've got about, you know, 20, 20 runners yeah. there. And, um, yeah, look, um, yeah. you know, I think that's probably one of the things that I'm most proud of is that, um, that the squad is such a tight-knit group and they're also, you know, really proud, I guess, to be part of the 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 central performance track group and the fact that, you know, they, they like to have, um, you know, their squad singlets and things that they can, you know, sometimes compete in um, when they're not required to wear club attire. And I guess, you know, that camaraderie that, um, has built up is just something that I'm, uh, I guess, really proud of. And, you know, they're all, they're all such great, great friends and, you know, they're, they socialize away from the track and, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I've been very fortunate to inherit a, a great group of, um, great group of individuals that have, um, really bonded to, to form a, a really tight knit training group. Yeah. Um, and you sort of mentioned before that, um, you're carrying through a lot of John's uh, sort of principles that he, he sort of taught you. And, um, but then you also said you're sort of add, adding sort of your spin on things as well. Is, is your spin sort of your physio side of things in terms of what you can offer from your experience as, as a physio that's, you know, been a team physio on, on, on quite a few Australian um, sort of, um, you know, teams as well yeah i think i think you probably um your own spin comes from just all the experiences that you've had in your life whether it's you know your, your physio degrees or your own training and then you know mistakes that you've made or things that have gone well that you want to try and replicate so i guess you know with all the athletes in the group um you know all of them are on sort of different different programs like there's not one athlete that would have the exact same program sent out to them um each month it will always be some individual variations and you know i was um i was listening to your your past 
um, couple of past interviews and asking about coaching philosophies and things like that. And I think it's one of those things that it's just, it's got to be adaptable because what works um, for one athlete and one year won't work for them the next year. So it's always constantly like at the end of each season, you know, try and write down some notes for each athlete on, you know, what are some things we've learned? What are things that worked well? What are some things that didn't work so well that, so that when you're then planning their training for the for the next year, you can sort of go back and you can you can see patterns of things that have worked, but you've also got to be mindful that, you know, potentially they won't work next time. So it's it's sort of just I find in coaching is just this constantly adaptable situation where, you know, one minute you can think you're doing a really fantastic job because an athlete performs really well, but then, you know, a couple of hours later you think you're doing a horrible job because someone else didn't go nearly as well as you thought they would. So you've got these really high highs and these um these really low moments so it's sort of just this balancing act of uh of making sure that you you're keeping the the big picture in mind and um and not not getting too overly excited with someone performing well but also not getting too low when someone doesn't perform so well because you know you can you can change that around in a matter of weeks yep yep um and yeah like sort of you know along the similar lines like i I read um, an interview you did for um, Runners Tribe um, oh, about five years ago, and um, the the question was, um, you know, you had a few injuries in your own career, um, and and what are you doing with the athletes you coach to ensure they avoid injuries? Mm. Um, and and you came up with some oh, really good stuff in your response, like, um, uh, you know, um, as a coach in terms of just. Um, um, making sure that you're there at training, observing and communicating and making sure that the athletes sort of understand the purpose of the session and, and that the intensity that they're training at sort of along the lines of those purpose and, and that the, they um, trust you as a coach that they, they can communicate well. Um, yeah, what are, like, like, are you still sort of carrying through similar sort of um, practices and um, is there anything else that you sort of added to, to try to make sure that you, you stay on top of injuries and, and be um, specific to each athlete. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I guess that's always like, you know, whenever you're, um, uh, whenever athletes are performing at a, a reasonably high level, you're always, I guess, um, treading that fine line between, you know, peak performance and just overdoing it slightly um, and then picking up an injury and getting sore and, and I'm still learning, yep. Dane, to be honest, because there's some athletes, you yeah. know, in your group that, you know, that seem to be able to handle, you know, lots of work and, you know, they, they don't have any soreness, they don't ever get injured. And then there's other athletes in the group that you're so careful with and mindful with and, you know, and they seem to, you know, no matter how much planning and stuff happens that, you know, those niggles and those injuries can still still pop up. So it's, it's a constantly, I guess, an evolving um process in terms of what do you need to give to the athlete to to ensure that one that they stay healthy which is the most important thing so that they you know they can enjoy it um and also secondly what can they do that's going to to allow them to continue improving because if they're not seeing improvement then you know the motivation to continue pushing themselves at training can can diminish over time so i guess things that you know i try and do with each athlete is you know when i'm sitting down planning their training is is making sure that you know, we're not introducing too many different variables from the previous month into their new program. We're being mindful of yep. the, the volumes um, 
and intensities that they're doing and making sure that we're spacing out, especially when it comes to that that racing part of the season when you have to hit those key sessions and that they they take a lot out of you, making sure that those sessions are, are spaced um, appropriately. Yep. Hello. Whoop, lost you. Yeah, I think I was just talking about um, what we're doing with athletes to make sure that they don't um, get injured. And uh, yeah, yeah, I guess yes. it's um, yeah, it's saying you know that it's always that fine line between you know ensuring that they're doing enough that they're progressing, but also not going over that um, yep. that tightrope and and ending up injured. So yep. um, yeah, a lot of the things uh, I guess that I was talking about was you know making sure that with each each program that you're or ensuring that the volumes and intensities are not changing too dramatically um, throughout um, each month and each block of training and um, ensuring that the sessions, the key sessions that you're making sure that they're adequately um, spaced so that the athlete doesn't feel that they're constantly showing up to training and, and having to push, push, push without any recovery because especially in those middle distance events, those those key track sessions that, you know, are very specific to race performance, they do take a lot out of you and, you know, not only physically but also psychologically. And, you know, if you're asking an athlete to come back a couple of days later and, um, and do a similar effort once again, um, it can be very hard mentally, but also they're not probably not recovered fully from the, the previous session. And then that's going to possibly put them at an increased injury risk. So we're always looking and, you know, adapting as to how an athlete feels, you know, physically, but also psychologically, if they feel ready to push hard again, because if they're not ready to push hard again, then, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, if the session is, isn't is at the right time of the season to do it if they're not ready to go then you know you need to space it out a little bit more and um and then i think where i got cut off was um just talking about recovery weeks that um yeah we schedule just down weeks in the the program usually about every fourth week um but that changes in the competition season where you know we reduce the volume and the intensity so that athletes can come to training and they just they know that they're just going to be able to roll around. It's not going to take too much out of them. It's a bit more of a social event. Um, and, they, and then they can just absorb all that previous um, hard works training and, and freshen up a little bit for the next hard block coming up. So, um, yeah, so we're always sort of just trying to, to, to learn from, from either previous mistakes we've made or, you know, what the latest sort of research and stuff is saying. But like I said, you know, I'm, I'm still probably making mistakes without even knowing it and and i still have athletes that um that do pull up sore and get injuries and that i i really you know take that personally because you know they're they're doing what i'm asking of them so um i've got to then sit back and go well what did we what did we do wrong or or what do we need to do going forward to ensure that this doesn't happen again yeah i'm exactly the same boat like um I've been coaching um, a young boy down on the peninsula here, Jess Dunsmore, and we had a really good track season. But then, you know, he's just finished up the track season the last three or four weeks with a sore Achilles. And, um, uh, you know, the whole the whole season, I thought he was managing really well. But um, it's sort of like, um, it was. It's, it, I suppose we're going to just learn from this and go, oh, okay, well, yeah, maybe we did introduce um, too much speed work and too much spike work. Um, um, and um, your body didn't cope with it, um, and so we'll, we'll learn from it for next season, and um, you know, you know, change change some of your training variables um, 
so that um, we are a bit more conscious um, so that it doesn't happen again. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's just, you know, the, the art of, art of coaching in a sense is that, you know, you've just, you've got to just take, you know, um, what's, what's in front of you and what you've been dealt and, and make sure that, you know, you learn something from it. Cause if you can learn from it, you know, then, you know, you're not going to make the same mistake going forward and then you can have a positive impact on the athlete's um, future because, you know, it's not just one season that you're going to have this athlete for, you're going to have them for many seasons. So if you can get that accumulative training, um, it's going to really help them. Yep. Yep. And I, are you um, monitoring things um, through um, keeping sort of your training on a, a spreadsheet or is it just through Strava or are, are you keeping some kind of um, uh, monitoring system where you monitor perceived exertion um, and or, and getting athletes to keep diaries? Um, yeah. Doing yeah, it? that's... Yeah. Um, that's a um, a good point, Dane. So yeah, yeah, all of the athletes' training is like um like on an Excel spreadsheet, so I can easily go back and in- ensure you know I've got accurate records of what they've done and and yes, I I do tell encourage all the athletes to keep training diaries, and I'd say that yeah, there's probably a small percentage that do and a lot that don't. Um, and <laughs> in, in terms of the athlete monitoring stuff, we did play around with that. Um, uh, and sent all the the guys the the spreadsheets to fill out, and it basically became a a point that no one was doing it. Yeah. So um, so we don't <laughs> really we don't really do it as much anymore. And you know, I probably um, you know the way that we monitor things is you know probably you know the the Excel spreadsheets that I've got, but also just you know talking to the athletes yep. and you know. And asking them how they feel and, you know, I like them to have some involvement in their programs because, you know, a lot of them are old enough now and have enough experience that um, they know what works for them and they know what yep. doesn't work for them. So asking them their opinions and, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, I'll probably be the one that writes it. But, you know, I love to get their feedback because they've got to believe in what they're doing. And if they, they're not believing in what they're doing, then it doesn't matter how good the training program is. It's, it's not going to work. Yeah. Um, and like, like, are you finding that there is just the, like, even though you've got quite a few guys training for say the 800, for example, is there a fair bit of individuality of like, um, the mileage that each of those 800 guys are doing and, um, what, what have you got sort of like, oh, um, Mason Cohn can, can do this, but I know, um, uh, yeah, um, Lockie Rafer could, could probably has to do this. Like, is there a fair bit of individuality in there? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, Mason, um, Mason's the athlete that I've had the longest. So I've probably got to know him the best. And, you know, yep, yep. Um, he had, uh, you know, our first year together, a really successful um, season where he finished third at the national championships. And then, um, you know, his, his strength at that point was his, his 400 ability and, um you know, his ability, um, like he was very fast and could really tolerate those those hard key anaerobic sessions really well. Um, and he was a little bit weaker more on that 1500 side. And, um, you know, we sort of put a plan in place that, um, you know, we were going to have a little bit more of an emphasis on um, the 1500 and building up his endurance side. And, um, and we worked on that and it, and it was showing signs of really improving, but at the expense of that was that um, his 400 ability really dropped down, even though we were still doing a lot of the speed work, it was the, the increased volume that had sort of 
just taken a little bit of a spring out of his step. And um, yep. it was at University Games um, where he went there and he was competing in the 400 and he couldn't break 49 seconds. And this was a guy that could run 47 seconds and his 800 was was a lot worse as a result of that. So that was a really big learning curve for me because it, um, I, I realised, you know, I didn't need to get caught up in that thinking that, you know, 800 runners, you know, have to be able to have this type of ability over 1,500 or they have to run this amount of mileage. You know, Mason now runs uh, uh, not not many kilometres at all, but, you know, yep. he still does the endurance work. But um, we're just ensuring that, you know, we know that if he's running fast over 400, that um, he's got a better chance of running a fast 800 than if he's running fast over 1,500 and not as good over 400. So, you know, so for him, it, it's a bit more of a speed emphasis, whereas, you know, someone like um, that I've started working with this year, Taylor John, you know, yep. he's, um, he's coming from doing a lot more um, endurance-based work and, you know, um, he, he doesn't require as much of that real fast sprinting type work um, and, and he keeps um, his longer runs up a lot higher than what Mason would do. So... So it's, you know, it's approaching it from different avenues. Um, I've got a young girl, Nicola Hogg, that, you know, she, she ran 207 for um, 800 and she's in year 11 and she's um, a similar type of athlete um, to Taylor in the sense that as she's getting fitter, you know, she gets faster. Whereas, you know, with Mason, we've got to constantly be working on the speed work to ensure he can run a fast 800. Whereas when Nicola's running a good 1500 and a good cross country, she's also running a... a trying to balance those different elements up in, in the training program to ensure um, it, it works for the individual athlete. Yeah, yeah. I had a chat with Justin Rinaldi about a month or so ago and he was saying exactly the same thing. Like he was saying that there's some 800 runners like a Luke Matthews or a, um, a, a, a Cram um, back in the day where they were sort of more um, coming they, – they ran better 800s if they did sort of run that higher volume. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and then you've got yeah yeah 800 meter runners that are sort of um sort of more coming from that 400 meter background yeah it's I, and i think that's one of the things i love about the event is that you know you can come at it from from different avenues and you know the the results will be very different um for the individual athlete on on how you you plan that training program so so yeah so it, it's you know probably most of the guys in my group all um uh, probably more of that that speed speed focused. Um, you know, Taylor um, is probably more coming from that fifteen hundred background. So his winter this year will probably look a little bit different to a lot of the other guys. But um, you know, when it comes to the actual key race specific sessions, you know, in summer, you know, everyone's got to do you know a similar sort of thing at some point because to run two two fast laps of the the athletics track you need to be doing some some really hard fast sessions and you, you can't get away from that yeah yeah so it's like you, you've always got you know some of the volume or some of the intensity it's just a, a mixture of of either or depending on the athlete yeah absolutely so yeah it's just um you know everyone will have to do some similar type of training at some point and there'll be same the similar key sessions but you know for a, a big chunk of the year depending on the type of athlete you know whether they're more of an endurance or speed focused athlete you've got to make sure that you're just never going too far away from their natural strengths because if you leave it to the last six weeks to suddenly 
go back to what they're they're really good at and what makes them a great athlete, then you know you're often gonna often gonna get found out because I I feel like if you only work on their strengths for the last part of the season, you've left it too long to really bring it back and then develop it even further. Yeah, it's it's really interesting point. Like I like I I've known quite a few distance runners um, over the years where they're really good and they're only they're they're only doing like 60 k's a week and and you sort of go oh imagine what so and so could do if they could do 100 k's a week or or if they did 120 k's a week and and the time comes to it where they actually try to do it and whether it's because they rush it or or um yeah they're, they're um but yeah they they just get injured or they get flat and they were actually running better when they were doing sort of a certain certain mileage um it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's such. A, I think it's. I think it's across the board for all all the events, and and really, you only you only find it out through trial and error. So, um, you know, there, I, there's just no hard and fast rules. I guess, um, you know, in in middle distance running, especially, I, I guess, you know, for for more events like the the five and ten, you know, there's probably a, a lot of athletes that are are training in a fairly similar way across the country. But as you said, you know, there's there's some athletes that you know, can just thrive off that that more quality type approach with a bit more recovery in their program. And then when they try and get fitter and do a lot more, they're just not able to sort of recover from it appropriately. So the, the quality of their training um, comes down. But um, yeah, Dane, I, I think I'll still be trying to work it out, you know, for the rest of the time that I'm coaching on, on what works and what doesn't work. I think like an, an added um, uh, uh, complexity to it all is, is all that... Um, or the internal load as well that um, mm. like um, it's only really been in the last sort of uh, probably, you know, three or four years where I've sort of, it, uh, my eyes have really been open to it where you sort of like um, uh, a bit more aware of um, uh, the stresses that um, I don't know, work um, or, or life stresses um, and um, energy imbalance in terms of, I don't know, you know, whether it's um, how you're eating, um, uh, sleep, uh, and and just all, all those other loads going on in your life that sometimes you or a change of job or or a, you know and you know an added family member like a new newborn um, you know yeah absolutely suddenly your, your um, ability to cope with load and training changes so your your performances might dip or, or you might get injured because you you you, have, you might not have changed training and training might be something that you've done the same for a number of years um, and then there's that also that idea of aging like if you as you get older like maybe your ability to do the same training that you did you know a little while ago is changing as well um yeah 100 percent. yeah completely agree with you there yeah it's um you know a lot of the guys that i coach have transitioned from probably that school to uni to now going into to full-time work and it is you know it is that juggling act and as you get more responsibility and spending longer hours at the office that you know that you come to training and sometimes you just you're just not in the headspace to to push so you've got to be got to be mindful of that definitely yeah and then you're coaching um uh georgia win cup um and um yeah um your girls group has grown like you've got kate spencer as well um uh, and georgia's really improved over the 3k steeple and and kate seems to be you know going from strength to strength again um how are those girls going and how's that been for you as a coach Oh, it's been great. Like the girls in our group are just the best. Like I just absolutely love them. They're um, they're just such a great 
group of quality girls that are just, and they're all best friends. Like it is just, it's so nice to have a, a group that's so supportive of each other and, and the, the fact that they just genuinely really get on well together. And, um, and I think that that, you know, that helps them to just, um, you know, achieve the success that they have because they, they love coming to training. They're motivated to come to training because they're, you know, their best friends are there and they're just genuine hard workers. Um, you know, they're, they, they never really, you know, doubt, you know, what I give them. They've got complete trust in me. And I think that that relationship allows us to, you know, to push forward and, and, and get some of the results that they've been getting. You know, I, I'm, I'm blessed with the fact that I've got talented girls like, you know, Georgia, um, she, she has improved a lot um, in recent times, but I think that that's all, that ability has always been there. It's just the fact that, you know, you've just got to, get everything, um, you know, sorted, you know, she had a, a good string of uninjured training. She, she'd had a lot of injuries in the past that had affected her ability to get, get good results through consistency. So I think, um, you know, as she started to get a little bit more consistent with the training and also I think just her realizing what she needed to do in terms of the one percenters and, and looking at everything, you know, from her diet and approaching her cross training and all of those type of things, all just allowed her to 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 piece it together last season and and it ended up in you know a really successful result in her qualifying for the the world championships and then Kate Spencer I mean I've just got so much respect for her because she's just had the roughest run um, over the last you know probably six to seven years um, you know I've been working with Kate now for uh, probably two seasons and you know um, she came to me and just basically said that she just wanted to, you know, to not be injured and enjoy her running again. And, you know, in the last two seasons, I, I really don't think that she's missed any training um, uh, any more than a couple of days due to some soreness. And I think that's, you know, we're obviously not pushing her as hard as what she's done in the past, um, but she's um, been able to just get consistent week after week, month after month. And, you know, she ran her second fastest ever 1500 and 5k this season and it was just so great to watch because she's yep. such a lovely girl and for someone that's had so much success in the past um as a junior to sort of you know to see her performances go backwards a fair bit um but to still maintain that passion and drive i think is a really really like um just a such a shows just such a great quality of person that she is yep for for um kate and an athlete like that um like what what are what have what were some of the things that you've sort of employed with her to to really try to string those two years um after such a such a sort of up and down period for her like um yeah what were some of the things that you used for for Kate yeah i think um when when she joined she wasn't doing much like she was just starting to get back into things so it was just obviously a really graduated approach firstly with um, introducing her to running again. Um, but now, you know, Kate has probably in the past, um, you know, run, you know, maybe uh, nine times a week where she yep. would do double days, probably three days a week. Now, you know, she only runs five times a week. Um, she does some cross training on those days that she um, is not running. Um, so I think just that overall, I guess, reduction in in load has obviously helped her to be a little bit more healthy um you know uh 
also just, I guess, varied the training. And, you know, she's, she does some faster running at different points in the, the season. And, you know, she's in the gym a lot more. So she's developed a little bit more of a, her athleticism. And I think um, that has just um, allowed her to be a little bit more um, durable as a result of that. And, you know, potentially she she will be able to handle more training. You know, she's handling more training this season than she was last season. And, you know, we'll have a discussion as to, to whether we increase it a little bit more this year. But, um, you know, while we're still getting improvement out of her, I'm reluctant to really push her too hard because, you know, we just don't want her going back into that um, that spiral of of injuries again. Yep, and with um, with the gym gym and the strength and conditioning, are you doing that with most of your athletes? Yeah, well, most of them in the group would um, would do some form of gym program. So um, a lot of them um, work. Um, with um, Dave Costello, um, who um, writes a lot of their gym program. He's done a fantastic um, job with them. So um, basically I give him complete autonomy. I trust him 100%. You know, he's a a runner himself and he understands, you know, what they need. Um, So, yeah, so that's a really big part of the program. And then a couple of the others um, will see um some of the guys that um work in my clinic so so it's good that you know i i can see what they're doing and um and speak to the the trainers there and how we need to adjust things um for their training going forward so to be able to have that relationships i think with with the strength coaches is really good because you know it just it's a it's an important part of their training but you they've also got to it's got to be balanced to to the amount of running load that they're doing as well yep yep how have you been um, structuring that into the week? Um, like, would you do it a couple of times a week and, and where have you sort of been putting it into the week um, around training? Yeah, so it, it, it varies um, for each athlete um, yep. based on um, what their work or uni commitments are. So Kate, for example, does hers on a, on a Monday and a, a Wednesday um, and a Monday is her non-running day um, where she'll cross-train. Um, the others generally just through life circumstances, um, do theirs on a Wednesday and a Sunday. Um, so, you know, it's whether it's the ideal thing, you know, I, I guess if you, um, you know, the gym itself can be a stressor and, you know, there's some philosophies that say that, you know, your gym should follow, you know, your immediately after your, your hard track sessions so that then your recovery days are your pure recovery days. But, Yep. From a logistical yep. point of view, you know, we start training at 5.30 p.m. We don't finish until about 7.30 p.m. There's no way that I'm going to go and ask an athlete to, you know, go to the gym from 7.30 to 9 p.m. or whatever like that and, and then end up eating dinner late, going to bed late, and then that interferes with their recovery. So a lot of it is done based on lifestyle and then just, you know, adjusting their training around that um, to ensure that, you know, the gym is – is beneficial for them and it's not just an, an added stressor that takes away from their recovery. Uh-huh. And so um, we've covered a fair bit about um, the elite group that you're coaching, but do you also coach um, uh, through your clinic um, uh, just some some people that are just jogging and are just keen to go out for a run and, and not um, striving for that the top end performance, but, you know, I suppose just, you know, in, enjoying running and, and getting out there and um, improving themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So I do a fair bit of like online stuff with um, people, um, predominantly training for more, you know, either 
the fun runs or, or some of the, the marathons. Um, and I love doing that. You know, it's, um, you get as much of a kick out of, of seeing them improve and, and being excited about their performance as you do with the guys that are, you know, probably striving for that, that higher level. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I do that um, through the clinic and also just a little bit online personally. And, and then, yeah, I work with a couple of, you know, some old schoolmates that, that just on a weekend that, you know, are just doing it for, for fitness-wise and to, to lose a bit of weight or um, just they want to target a small fun run themselves. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just a, a really good, you know, coaching I absolutely love. It's just something that I've been fortunate to, to get into and, and be surrounded by really good quality people. And to be honest, it sounds exactly what you're after. Like um, you're doing the sports science degree initially, and then sort of came to the end of it, and um, uh, and then you do the physio as well. And then um, I suppose now you're sort of more in that applied performance side of things as well, where um, yeah, you're you sort of um, I don't know at that um, performance end rather than just the injury side all the time as well. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a really nice, um, you know, balanced um, lifestyle now. Like, you know, the physio work I love and, but, you know, you would know yourself, it can be pretty full on when you're doing 40 hours manual work week after week. And, you know, it it is pretty, pretty demanding at stages. So to, you know, I probably don't work as um, like as many hours as I did when I was graduating from uni as a physio, but, you know, I'm, I'm working a lot more outside now with the athletes and, um, and then right doing online programs. And so still a, a lot of total work time, but, you know, I don't see it as that. Like I absolutely love, you know, writing the programs and, and going to training. Like I genuinely get really excited about going and meeting with the, with the squad because, you know, they're, they've become more than athletes, you know, they're friends, they're family now. Like it's just, we're, we're a tight knit group and, you know, we have a lot of fun together. So when, and then to see them actually, you know, improve or achieve a performance, make a team, like, you know, it, it, it is really rewarding. Um, yeah. And like, um, you know, with um, the whole situation that the world is struggling from, like what have you sort of spoken to your group or is it sort of a day by day sort of, process at the moment on, on sort of what you're thinking about going forward with the group environment and and keeping everyone going and obviously with the the changes in terms of like there's no races at the moment uh, what are, what have you sort of thought like over the last week or two in terms of how have plans changed and um, how's group training changed yeah I look it's yeah I mean obviously with the the announcement that the the senior nationals were being cancelled and then obviously the Olympics, you know, I think everyone's a bit in limbo, but what we did is we, we sat down and, you know, what I said to them was that I'd actually like to, to see out the, the season as if we were competing at nationals. Um, yep, yep. So we've actually set up to do some, some time trials tomorrow um, just so that we can learn a little bit of, of, of how the actual training leading into nationals worked. Um, I mean, obviously, yep. you know, I'm not expecting them to be as psychologically prepared as if it was nationals, but I think, you know, if we can, we can take something out of it and if athletes perform well in the time trials or they don't perform as well as what, you know, they or I was expecting, we can, we can sort of look back and go, well, what did we learn from the season? Whereas, you know, I think if we just stopped, you know, two weeks ago when it was announced, you know, we, we're not going to learn for, for next year's nationals what we what we needed to to modify um, in those um, important lead in weeks. So so yeah, so our season sort of 
is officially, I guess, ending tomorrow, Dane. So we we'll yep. go and do some time trials, and then um, and then from there we'll just sort of play it by ear as to to what we're allowed to do and stuff. Most of the athletes will have some scheduled downtime where you know they'll continue doing a bit of running, but not too much structure, just to make sure that they 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 keep healthy and 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 fit, you know, musculoskeletally, so that when they do come back ready for hard training again, you know, the risk of injury is is a bit bit less. Yep. And um, yeah, like we'll like in terms of physio wise, will your clinic sort of um, like what are you thinking there, or, um, or is it sort of just a play it by ear sort of situation at the moment too? Yeah, it's it's play it by ear um, at the moment. I think um, while we're allowed to be open, we'll stay open. Um, yep. And um, but yeah, look, it, it, it's a tough situation. Like our clinic is. Um, is based in Surrey Hills, which is in the city. And, um, you know, most of our clientele are people that, um, that, that work in the city. And because there's no one that's working in the city at the moment, you know, um, it's a bit like a ghost town. So like with most small businesses, we've been uh, affected pretty, pretty, pretty hard, but, you know, we're, we're trying to implement things, you know, online consultations, all the telehealth stuff. And, you know, so, We'll be fine, you know, but it, it, it just does require you to be flexible in your approach and, um, you know, we'll wait to hear what, what are the next steps of, um, in terms of the government plans going forward. Yep. Yeah, and um, I probably just wanted to finish with, like, two, two more questions. Um, I feel like you're really well-versed in terms of, um, uh, like, asking this question, like, with your background and um, range like in terms of, you know, running a 48, 400 and then, you know, running 30, 39 over 10 K, 14, 34 over 5 K, 8, 16 over 3 K. Um, uh, what, what for you particularly, what worked really well as a, as a high intensity sort of speed session that really um, sharpened you up, um, say for a shorter event and then also um, high intensity sort of speed session for a 5 K or 10 K. What, what were some really good sort of bank to back sort of sharpening sessions that you used? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I think for um, like I probably um, I'll probably go to what I sort of am scheduling for for my athletes now in terms yep. of the shorter events because it was a long time ago I ran so yep. uh, eight hundred so I can't even remember exactly but um, you know for example um, a session that the guys did for the 800, which would have been, you know, about 10 days before nationals was planned was that they ran a, a 300 sort of um, 800 race effort. Um, and they had 90 seconds rest and then they would run like a 500 flat out and then have two minutes rest and then run another 200. So it's a session that's, um, you know, it's over very quickly, um, but it's very, you know, specific to 800. It gives me a bit of information about um what I think that they can run for the 800 based on their accumulative time and also how they finish that final rep. Yep. Um, so that's, that's a good one for the, for the 800, for the 400, you know, um, part of the, some of the key sessions that the guys do would be like two sets of two, two hundreds where they'd run a, a 200, like the first 200 of their 400 and then um, run, have 60 seconds rest and then run flat out for the final 200 and have full recovery. And then, and do that again so both of those types of sessions are are, are really hard um but you know they're also very specific for the events that the guys are training for and they they give a lot of information um back as to 
possibly prediction in terms of performance if the, the conditions are right on the day. And then more yep. for, you know, your, your longer distance sort of stuff. I always like, um, you know, something like a 5K, like a ladder going down, something like a, a 2K, 1600, 1200, 800, 400, where you, you might start off with about four minutes rest and then drop down by, you know, a minute's rest each rep so that yep. you, you've only got short recovery leading into the, the final 400 and just trying to run at race pace early and, and then see if you can get faster throughout the session. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's really nice. Um, and then what what are um, uh, for likewise like for both sort of the eight hundred guys and then sort of for say your five k kind of guy, what what's been a really sort of favourite aerobic sort of strength session um, of yours that you feel like you know is really good in terms of developing the aerobic system? Yeah, well, probably um, a lot of our aerobic work um, that the guys like love doing is. Um, you know, we use um, a, a, an area in um, uh, Macquarie Hospital that's just like it's um, it's a grassed area and you can do anywhere from, you know, 300 metre loops to 1K loops over undulating terrain. So, and we try and just make all the sessions really different. So there'll be anything from, you know, for the, the shorter guys, 45 second reps to six to eight minute reps, um, you know, with standing or jog recovery. So I don't try and reinvent the, the wheel too much there. It's, you know, your typical sort of type of stuff that probably most training groups are doing. But I like to do a, a fair bit of that stuff away from the track just because it's um, probably a bit easier mentally. And, you know, you yep. run a little bit more to feel. Um Yep. On when, when you're not looking at your stopwatch every, um, you know, 30 seconds or or lap to make sure that you're hitting an exact split because, um, you know, especially for that aerobic stuff, it's probably better to be a little bit um, under underdone than overdone and, and pushing too hard and you defeat the purposes for the session. So, yeah, so anywhere from, you know, two to sort of six-minute reps with, you know, short shortish recovery um, over varied terrain um, at efforts, you know, that are probably equating to anywhere from sort of, you know, 3K to sort of 5K type effort. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, and then, yeah, last one um, that I think um, is a great one for you to um, answer, being um, a, a really renowned physio in Australia um, and, an, uh, and having a running background and, and also being an athletics coach. Um, what um, are some of the um, uh, common uh, running myths um, that you're fielding as a running physio all the time uh, that, or the common running, running mis- common mistakes you see um, runners coming in at, um, injured and, and, and why? Yeah, look, I, I think as, as distance runners in general, and I've made the mistake my, myself a lot in my running career, is you just – you want to you want to get to point A to point B as quickly as possible, and you're probably pushing too early on in the training cycle before your body is ready for it. Um, I think distance runners, as in as a very general rule, you know, think um, you know uh, that the more they do, the the better the results are going to be. So um, probably a lot of the the injuries that I see um, in the the clinic can be traced back well. I say can be traced back. You never really know, but um, to just sudden spikes in training load. So whether that be, you know, 
that they've they've come back from a break because they've been overseas for a holiday and all of a sudden they've jumped back into their their normal training load that they were doing you know six weeks ago but you know they've had a four week down period yep. or you know they've they've suddenly gone from you know running consistently 70 kilometers a week and all of a sudden now they've jumped up you know to to 90 or 95 kilometers and you know the injury didn't maybe didn't happen in that first couple of weeks but it's just been that accumulated fatigue or that increase in load that has then led to that that injury or that soreness developing maybe a month down the track so so yeah yep. i think in general it, it, you you generally can trace it back to to training mistakes in the sense that um the body just wasn't ready for the the load that you you were putting on it um and i think that that's the the case for all injuries is you've just got to work out where your body's at at the moment where you want it to go and what are the steps that you need to take to ensure that um you're building up the the tissues tolerance to handle it yeah that's such a good one and that's probably i'd have to agree that's um um probably the most common one that i I see is like um you remember the training that you've done in the past um whether it was a year ago or six months ago or or 10 years ago um and and so then that's clearly vividly in your in your head and you're like oh well i did it then and so it's very easy to go okay well yeah I, i i know i can do it so then um you sort of try to rush back and try to do it um, without sort of um, appreciating that the tissues in your body um, capacity to tolerate the loads might have regressed and um, and you've got to like slowly build them up so that they can tolerate those loads again. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's And, you know, it can be a tedious process. And, you know, when you're writing return to run programs for people, you can you can see that they're thinking, oh, God, seriously, it's not going to make yeah. me take this long to build it back up. But um but yeah, I think it, if you can sort of describe that to them as the, you know, this is just preparing you to handle the harder training going forward, that this isn't about fitness at this stage. It's just about, you know, developing that, that tissues tolerance and making you a more resilient runner going forward, um, that you can get a bit of better buy-in. But, you know, it's, it's, it's adapting, you know, your communication style to, to who's in front of you because some people, you know, need a softer approach and some people just need it a little bit more bluntly said. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they actually listen to, to the advice. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and sometimes us runners, it's hard to get through to. Like, um, yeah, especially, um, yeah, it can be quite an obsessive sort of um, addictive sport. So, you know, oh yeah, absolutely, you know, Dane. And I, I've, yeah. I, I, I would class myself as probably one yeah. of those, uh, one of those people. Yeah, yeah, that's very easy to sort of know what you should do, but then um, go, go. Oh no, I'll be okay. Um, so. Um, yeah. sometimes it is just so good to um, seek that sort of third person or that, yeah, that outside opinion. So that passion doesn't sort of blur that, that, um, the, that obvious decision or the, that, um, common sense, logical decision. Yeah. hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to go over or, um, yeah, there's like, I think you've covered some great stuff there and, um, yeah. No, thanks, mate. No, I've, uh, I've enjoyed chatting to you and, yeah, really appreciate the opportunity to come on and, yeah, I think you're doing a great job and, um, yeah, you've had some, some really good guests and, um, yeah, it's really good to just, you know, go out, put, it, put your podcast on when going out for a run and, and listening to what people have got to say. So thank you. Yeah, especially I, I think it's um, good in this time um, of the world as well so that if we're, if we are running um, um, in sort of social isolation, like, yeah, there's going to be times where you just want to run and, and not have their podcast in, but there's going to be times where you actually want to be listening to something. So yeah. um, I think people listening to what you've said there will, um, you know, there's a lot of great 
great tips. And um, now thanks so much, Ben, for the time because I know, um, yeah, you run off your feet a little bit with the young one at the moment. So, um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah no, I, I really appreciate it. And um, thank, thanks so much for um, a Ripper interview. Yeah, no, thanks, Dane. Thanks for having me. And, yeah, good luck, mate, with all, um, yeah, future plans for races and training and everything. And, um, yeah, hopefully uh, stumble across each other, um, yeah, in the next little while and we can have a chat. Yeah, no, that'd be awesome. All right. Thanks, All right. Thanks, Dane. Okay, talk to you later, mate. Cheers. Bye. Bye.